everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Global Shop Solutions ERP Software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Stone Hansen, and the next in our series of guests, Brendan Nunez. Um, he is a, the host of the King's Bulls podcast, one of the best sort of uh, team-specific podcasts I've come across in my time. He also writes for the King Her- the King's Herald and the Sacramento Bee, so lots of Kings work out there, and, and the Kings in general are just at an interesting spot. They were the probably big winners of the lottery, you would say, jumping up from seven to four um, in the lottery odds, and they have two second-rounders as well, so some fun stuff we're going to dive into. Before we get too into it, uh, Brendan, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. I, uh, you know, sang your praise a little bit before press and record, but might as well do it again. I can't say how much I enjoy your guys' show, you know, in, in the process of doing all these profiles and everything, your guys' is, is right up there with Vicini for me as my one I make sure to always check off when it comes to profiles. So I'm glad to be joining you guys. Thank you, man. That means Thank a lot you. to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it, it means a lot to hear from, from anyone, but like, especially someone whose work I respect it, it really, it, it goes a long way. So big fan of yours as well. We had you on last year, I believe to talk Kings as well. And uh, a little, I think a little happier place right now to be up at the fourth pick and, and not feeling like you're sort of down, you know, last year, I think it was sort of a disappointment to still be at nine and it kind of felt like, you were on the outskirts of the draft. And I think there's still, you know, I think some people call this a three-person draft. Some others are going to call it a five-person draft. I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. And I think the Kings are just a really interesting spot. Um, before we get into the draft itself, I wanted to ask you sort of, you know, the Kings had an up and down year. Uh, they had some some positives and negatives. They, of course, made the big trade for Demonis Sabonis halfway through the year. Just how would you describe the Kings season in general? Yeah, sadly, it's hard to not say like a disappointment, really. I, I think that there were a lot of expect expectations going into this season about this being the year that they blo- broke the playoff drought and not letting it extend to 16 years. And they're going into the next year with, sure enough, 16 years of no postseason <laughs> basketball. And it, it um, it's the same thing all over again. So I, I think that the roster had a lot of expectations behind it with the second year of Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I, I think there was a little bit of excitement around like, I know it's not much, but I guess Sacramento fans cling on to what they can with Terrence Davis and Maurice Harkless being acquired at the previous deadline and kind of just they had a they had some continuity to the roster. And there was also a lot of thought that Luke Walton would be moved on from, which didn't end up happening until 17 games into the season. Um, But, you know, after they made that coaching change, it was like. And then eventually the Tyrese Halliburton trade, it was kind of like, okay, I guess this is an adjustment year because it didn't pan out the way that everybody expected. And they seemed to kind of wait the, wave the white flag pretty quickly and then throw a complete wrench in it when they swapped out Tyrese for Sabonis. So initially a disappointment based on just they were looking to make the play in unquestionably this season. And then when it became maybe not crystal clear, but you could tell it was pretty low chances of that happening, um, that they kind of made a swap that was, enough to know all right we're holding on for next year yeah I think I I feel like I remember this it being described as a win soon move and I think that sort of makes some sense because uh Sabonis was acquired at a point where you mentioned it kind of felt like the play-in was kind of a long shot and um but I, I think there's a lot to like about 
what he does for the roster. For one, he came in and was immediately the best passer on the team. I, I would say he's probably even a more impactful play-to-play passer than Tyrese Halliburton was because um, he's just involved in more actions while De'Aaron Fox is involved rather than it sort of being point-to-point. Um, and I just I wanted to ask you just what do you think of that sort of core building duo of De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Bonus? Yeah, I think they complement each other a lot better than Fox and, and Tyrese Halliburton did. With Tyrese and De'Aaron, it was kind of like your turn, my turn. And I think that they would have worked that out. Like, I, I know that it's not, I don't know, it's kind of 50-50, I think, in people that cover the team and the fan base of, like, would that pairing have worked? And I totally subscribe to, like, they would have made it work. I mean, I, I think it's important to have numerous different um, initiators and, and playmakers and guys that can break defenses down off the dribble. I think it was just both of them being guys that try to make sure the other person is as comfortable as possible. And at some point, one of them, to me, it was, it was primarily Darren Fox that needed to just be like, okay, I'm just going to do what I do now. And I, I think that because they were trying to make each other comfortable, there was maybe more growing pains than I would have expected. Um, but I think they could have worked it out, but it was so clear. I mean, this, the very first game that Fox and Sabonis played together, um, they instantly clicked. Like those guys complement each other amazingly when it comes to um, just both being a being really smart basketball players is kind of what it comes down to uh, fundamentally to me. Like just and Fox has never been able to play with a guy that is a big that can pass like that. The closest thing is Willie Colley Stein, which Willie Colley Stein is probably a better passer than some people give him credit for, but he's still no. Uh, to bonus or anything close to it. So I, I think Fox and just how dynamic he is as an athlete, being able to cut off Sabonis is something he's never really been able to work with. A two-man game like that, the closest thing was Rashawn Holmes. And Holmes is super efficient and in my mind, a top 15 center in the league, which sounds crazy, but after like eight or nine, it falls off pretty hard. Um, but Sabonis has just more he's more dynamic in the way that he can play like Fox is more comfortable I think giving him that um, quick pass in the short roll and letting Sabonis make plays from there when Holmes is kind of just a push shot so I think you saw those guys click really really quickly as my dog makes a bunch of noise in the background Um, you saw it right away and I think while I again I think Fox and Halliburton would have worked that needed time to kind of figure each other out and become the most optimal pairing they can be Fox and Sabonis instantly worked. Um, I do think there's still a lot of questions. Like it's very specific what you need to surround those guys with, right? You, they, everybody around them, the three other guys have to be shooters. I don't think that they can be questionable. Like, you know, they hit a shot sometimes like Chemezi Metu, Marvin Bagley, uh, Maurice Harkless, every single one of those guys are getting completely ignored because I, I would prefer that guy to shoot a wide open shot than give Fox or Sabonis a mid-range look or, or any of these other guys half-decent looks. So they need to have guys that are going to have a gravity to them as shooters because Fox and Sabonis, like, their upside is, like, I they could become okay shooters, but that's still a question at this point. Um, and then defensively, I think both of those guys are okay, but they also have their moments where they're, they're negatives out there. So while I do think those to complement each other really well. I think you need very specific other players around them. And it really just comes down to three and D players, which I guess is becoming more and more common in the league, but also still a hot commodity. So not exactly the easiest thing to get. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned that three and D, and that does sort of transition me to sort of uh, the other kind of core pieces. I'm with you where I, I actually really believe that a DeMontis, Monas, and Fox duo can be like pretty high level, you know, championship, you know, maybe not, but at a certain point, like, I think that can be just a really solid duo to build a team around, especially, I mean, it's awesome to see De'Aaron Fox weaponized as an off-ball player. That's something I really, you know, I was just getting into draft scouting in 2017, but I had De'Aaron Fox second on my board. And uh, some of that was, I thought he could be really dangerous when he didn't have the ball playing next to, you know, passing bigs or forwards or, or whoever. And it's, it was really fun to see that happen, but you mentioned the spacing issues and all that. So there's just a couple other guys I thought, you know, maybe make up that secondary core. Um, and if there's anyone else you want to throw in, you know, you had mentioned Terrence Davis as a possibility, go ahead. But I, I really feel like specifically DiVincenzo and Harrison Barnes do sort of fill that three and D type mold. Uh, Harrison Barnes was uber efficient last year. And I think he's always been a solid defender. Uh, DiVincenzo, of course, coming off an injury, but I mean, there were times where, where people were saying that, part of the Bucks losing was because Steven Chenjo was injured in the playoffs last year. So he's at the very least has a, a track record for being very valuable. And then Davion Mitchell, um, of course, the ninth pick last year had some good moments as a rookie, had his struggles, you know, that pick had uh, fans and it didn't have fans. Um, just, just how are you feeling about that sort of secondary core uh, behind Fox and Sponis right now? Yeah. To start with Davion, because he's the one that I, I think is, most likely to be on the team next year. I think everyone else like is even slightly questionable to different levels, but I think Davion's the one that I would assume is most likely to be on the team next year, which take for what you will. I thought Tyrese Halliburton was a lock to be on the team at this point too. So um, you never know what this Kings front office is going to do, but with Davion, it's interesting. Um, I think he's a perfect backup point guard. I see why people want him to be more. Um, the three-point shooting needs to come around in the same way that it did his last season at Baylor. If he's going to be a starting point, uh, the starting two guard is what it comes down to for me. I think defensively, it makes a lot of sense to, cause I think De'Aaron Fox is actually a pretty decent defender, um, but he's had so much of an offensive responsibility. And to be honest, I think there's an aspect of like, why should I give a shit on defense when Buddy Hield and Marvin Bagley didn't give a damn, like the guys behind me aren't going to try. So why should I like lock in every single possession? Um, so I, I think that when Fox is fully engaged and Sabonis is able to take more of the offensive load off of him, that he can put more effort onto the defensive end and be okay there. But it's even better when Davion is the one that's able to be fighting through screens and guarding the primary initiator on the other team and allow Fox to not relax a little, but not exert the same effort on the defensive end. So that way he can put more into the offensive end. So defensively, I think they make a lot of sense together. Um, it's just that offensively, like Davion's been better off the bounce than off the catch. Um, so I, I think that he just needs to get, it, they need to be high level three-point shooters around Fox and Sabonis. Like, I think it comes back to, they can't be shaky and questionable, like streaky. They need to be at least like average, if not above that um, three-point shooters. And so far, like Davion, isn't that he had a really good final, what, 10 or so games when Fox and Sabonis weren't playing, but I don't know how much to put into that, to be honest. Like I, I am encouraged with his space creation that we've seen. And, and some of the playmaking has been nice. His assist numbers look really good in some of those games, but it was never reads that were like blowing my mind or anything like that. It was kind of just a lot of reps with him and Damian Jones in the pick and roll. And you saw both of those numbers really shine at the end of the season. Um, so I, I think that Davion can be that 
two guard of the future, but that three point shot has to come around. But I can tell you that like every single time you ask about Davion Mitchell, specifically with like Alvin Gentry or anybody really, but specifically Gentry, it was that like, we have zero concerns about this guy. There's a weakness. He is going to work it out because this guy works his ass off and we have to like tell him to get out of the gym. Um, which I'm sure you guys know from last year's draft cycle, like Davion's work ethic is praised like no other, you know, like everybody's worth that work ethics get gets praised all the time, especially in, in draft times. Right. But Davion's was just on another level and it still continued that way throughout his season. So they have faith. He can become that guy right now. I kind of view him as a backup point guard um, and a damn good backup point guard, like on the right nights, he can still close, which I, I think has its value. Um, Dante DiVincenzo to me is I would have him as the starting two guard going into next season, unless they made some significant trade. Um, DiVincenzo hits threes, um, at, at a really good rate. Sometimes he takes ones that I think give Kings fans a little bit of buddy healed PTSD of a, why are you, why are you trying to do that right now? Or just a little bit too much. Um, and you know, maybe I've talked myself into it a little bit. I think it could calm down when he gets the contract because, you know, you just have a little bit more comfort. I felt like he was at times trying to show off what he could be a little bit going into restricted free agency. Um, but I really like what Dante brings on the defensive end, um, can kind of do the same thing as I was talking about with Davion when he's paired alongside Fox, give Dante the harder assignment and let De'Aaron relax a little bit on the defensive end. And he hits threes at a good rate. Um, I kind of feel like his, all the things he does well are really quiet but then he has like one or two really loud mistakes in a game that make people maybe a little skeptical of Dante and partially a reason why the fan base doesn't feel too hot about him. But to me, if it takes the MLE because some other team offers it, which is what, like 40 or 44 or 45, something like that, I would do it to keep Dante. Um, I think he's a fine starting two guard when he's like your fourth or fifth starter on a team. Right. And I'll say really fast about Dante too, is I, I find what he does defensively really important if you're going to have someone like Sabonis as your five uh, because Dante's a really good help guy. Um, he's not like like helping in the way like Robert Covington does where he's blocking shots at the rim, but he's very good at making sure like a back cut can't get to the rim or, you know, uh, helping off a, a weak side um, driver or whatever that might be. Like I, that stuff, like you mentioned, quiet, really underrated because it's not a block in the stat sheet or anything, but he's in the right place. And you kind of have to have like an ecosystem on defense that'll sing to make Sabonis really work defensively. I think that's what we saw, you know, that Pacers year that was sort of magical with um, where he was the sixth man of the year and, and uh, uh, Victor Oladipo looked like a superstar. I think a lot of what made Sabonis work was that everyone on defense on that team was so locked in and so sound positionally that um, it really covered up for some of his weaknesses as a rim protector. No, I think that's it. Like size too. I, I think they kind of need to be forwards, you know, maybe not all of them or anything, but they need at least one more really quality forward. Like Trey Lyles, Mo Harkless can't be starting next season. They're fine backup forwards as your fourth or fifth like wing. Um, that's fine but they need another starting forward. And while I think that like some things are negotiable with how good of a defender, for example, like they just can't, to me, the two non-negotiables are like, they can't be a bad three-point shooter and they can't be a bad defender. They can be eh at like one or the other, but they can't be bad at either one in my mind. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and that sort of is a great transition to who we feel like the most realistic pick at four is. Um, I've said this since it was revealed that King's got that pick. For me, and and we'll get into this a little later with possible trade scenarios, it could be a five, two, if some if some trade machinations go. But I think the most realistic player in this draft to end up on the Kings is Keegan Murray. Um, that's where I'm at. Uh, Stone, who, who do you feel like is the most realistic, predictive mock put on your, your you know, Jonathan Gaboni hat? And just who do you think is the most likely player to end up on the Kings? I I think it's one of Sharper Ivy, to be honest. I think that um, not probably who I'd take for the Kings, but I, I feel like there's too too much public perception for them to not have some sort of vested interest in, in trying to um, I, I think their fan base would be pretty upset if they moved on from one of those two guys um, pre-draft just the way they're getting talked about and I think that perception of how those guys are viewed plays a huge part into who the Kings take in one of those two guys I feel like is it's probably the Kings pick in, in my view yeah I, I would think that you know, assuming like Chet Jabari and Paulo are off the board, uh, at least that's my assumption. If not, if any of those are available, you take them um, with Paulo being like last, like when I saw the Kings weren't there at seven, my dreams of Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith alongside uh, Sabonis were flying wild. I thought both of those guys were just perfect fits alongside Sabonis and, and Fox. Um, so if there's any scenario where those are possible, like obviously you take it. To me, four, though, like, I think it's Jaden Ivey. I think what it's going to come down to is, like, who they view as best player. And, you know, I, I do like the whole tiered system of, you know, I, I'm okay picking for fit if you view them in the same tier as a talent. Um, I, I think that they're probably going to have a fall off before you reach Keegan Murray. Um, and whether that's Ivy or Sharp or, or both, and they get to decide between the two, um, then it is what it is. But I think like taking Davion Mitchell, I don't think it is as simple as saying like, like they tried to present, Oh, we took the best player available. I think that they did factor in like immediate contribution to an extent. I don't know how much it was actually viewed as best player available. Um, like just the definition of that term is weird. Right. Um, and, and I think contextualized or needs to be contextualized for each team. But I think that when you're talking about pick four, like, I think it very much so is like to me, if I had to guess who they would take it's for, I think more likely than not, they probably trade the pick to be honest. But I think if I had to guess who the pick was, I would say Ivy. If you, if you were the one making the pick though, would Ivy be the selection? Yeah. Ivy would be really interesting. I honestly can't think of another example of like a backcourt with two guys that athletic um, next to each other. Um, like I, I, racking my brain that I can I'm not the best basketball historian by any means but um it's rare at the very least you know it's not something you see every year um I I I would be interested to see that uh it would not be my dream pick at four um this is I don't know I'd be interested to hear what Kings fans think of this but my dream pick at four would be Adrian Griffin Jr. um I like it I think he definitely brings the shooting right I think he's I think he's the best shooter in this class um, by by a solid margin, even above Jabari Smith, uh, is even though a lot of people don't really agree with me there, 
And uh, I, I think that there is some upside for him to potentially take on more usage beyond that. Uh, the defense needs some work, um, but I, I don't think it's bad. I think the Duke context kind of hurt him defensively, and he was clearly still dealing with some nagging lower body stuff. And if the medicals check out for me at four, that's where I'd want to go. Um, I know that's fairly unpop- unpopular, but um, I'll, I'll, we will get to the to the more sort of broad option of selections at four in a second. But, you know, you guys have both mentioned trade scenarios a couple of times. So, Brendan, I know you mentioned one to trade back one pick, which, you know, some people here and they don't think really makes a ton of sense. But, you know, I, I think there's reason to believe that the Pistons really, really like Jaden Ivey um, and that they could want to move up that one pick. And, you know, there's potential value there or maybe even moving back further. Just what are some, you know, trade possibilities here with this fourth pick? Yeah, I think it's interesting, um, you know, just to kind of throw out different candidates that I've heard, like, I mean, if you do five, like, could you get Sadiq Bay for moving back a pick? I probably don't think so, but I, I've like heard that. I, I think it, it depends how much like moving up one pick in this draft is weird to me, unless it would take Detroit just loving one of like Ivy or Sharp, right? Um, which I think Ivy makes an okay amount of sense next to um, next decade in my mind, but it, it just really would take a lot going right like you'd have Detroit would have to love somebody they'd have to know that they'd have to call your bluff pretty much um or or not call your bluff and it's just a weird scenario to me but for the sake of conversation like is there something of um you know I think Rashawn Holmes for Jeremy Grant works financially and like previously I talked about next year's first say top six protected in Rashawn Holmes for Jeremy Grant could you do Rashawn Holmes and the fourth pick for the fifth pick in Jeremy Grant Probably not, but who knows? Um, I think also Rashawn Holmes and the fourth pick for Kyle Kuzma in the 10th pick, maybe. Um, and then the other one that stands out, um, well, Rashawn Holmes always comes up in conversation to me. Like I always come back to Charlotte, team that needs a big. I think he's just a better version of Montrezl Harrell in my mind, um, especially defensively. So I, I think like, could you get 13 or 15 for Rashawn? And that's even, I, I think, without including the fourth. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind is John Collins. A lot of whispers about John Collins wanting to relocate and uh, Kevin Herter being talked about in there a little bit as well. Like, could you do a Harrison Barnes in fourth and whatever matching salary you would need for um, John Collins, Kevin Herter in the 16th pick and snag up somebody like, uh, um, like a, why am I totally drawing a blank? Atari Eason who's somebody that I, I really like for Sacramento, even though the shootings may be a little questionable. Like if that works, I think he, he makes a lot of sense for alongside Sabonis. So um, those are the three that kind of stand out to me would be maybe trying to work something with Detroit at five um, surrounding Sadiq Bay or, or Jeremy Grant, Kyle Kuzma in 10, and then John Collins in 16. I know we're talking a lot about moving down, but you were saying how those three guys at the top would really interest you. Is there any scenario that you could see where they move up one pick or something to, to really have a chance at one of those guys? I think it's, I think I would consider it. Like I would really consider it. I think I've also really fallen for Chet and Jabari, to be honest. I, I really, really like those guys and their fit alongside this bonus. Like I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. I, I think that they make a lot of sense as, as fours alongside those guys, both that can space the floor and make a real impact on the defensive end. So 
while I don't think it's a popular opinion, I think if you got anybody else to cover the team, they'd probably tell you no. <laughs> um, I think that they want to make an impact right now. The Kings, that is, you know, reported they want like a Minnesota-esque jump. Then if they really believe in one of those two top guys and like the fit, why can't you do a, what Dallas did and go trade your future first top four protected for to move up two spots or one spot if Cheddar Jabari are there? Um, so I think it's possible. I wouldn't bet on it. I think it's probably the least likely outcome, but I, I do think it's possible. To me, it makes sense. I think it's a little less likely that it's um, for three. I feel like it's more likely that it would be OKC. I just, yeah, I think I OKC is all the pick hoarders. Yeah, the pick hoarders. They, <laughs> they would take 2023. And because I, I, and I'm definitely with you on one of those two. I'm lower on Jabari than most. I, I've kind of made somewhat clear in the past, but I, Chet specifically, like that's to me is the dream fit next to Sabonis because it's sort of, you know, Miles Turner's, Turner and Sabonis worked in some ways and did it in others, but Chet is more mobile than Turner. He's a, I project him to at some point be a better shooter than Turner. You know, I think Chet can be an actual stretch big and Turner is more or less kind of a fake stretch big. Um, and I think he can put the ball on the floor and pass too. You can do some really stick stuff. If you could secure Chet, I would really look into it. If it, if it wasn't Chet for me, I'd be a little less interested. I, I, I like Paolo more than Jabari, like a tier difference. So I wouldn't want, um, I wouldn't want to trade up for Jabari, but I also don't love Paolo's fit enough to think that trade up is worth it. Um, but if you can trade, if you could trade up to get Chet, I would, I would absolutely look into that. Yeah. To me, Paolo's the guy that's like, you take him because the talent, but the fit is, it is pretty questionable. Yeah, it would be almost like taking Tyrese Halliburton again, but with Sabonis and not Fox in terms of just like, yeah, there's that overlap there. They'd have to learn how to play each other. Now, I do think that Paolo will shoot more than some, I think. I'd be, I'm interested to hear what you think on, on your upcoming pod where you discuss him, but um, I, I, I definitely buy Paolo more as a shooter than some, but I, I, I agree that, you know, he's going to want to play with the ball in his hands, and then you have three guys who need the ball, uh, I think the benefit of Chet and, and even Jabari um, is that they don't need the ball to impact how they're going to impact. You'd have, you know, he could be that outlet passer. He can be that rim protector um, while also playing on the perimeter a bit. He can shoot and, and probably maybe attack and close out at some point. Needs some work on the handle there, but uh, I, I would really love Chet there. Stone, I just want to throw it to you. You know, Brendan has mentioned a couple um, trade down scenarios. Who are some other guys sort of in the realm that you think the the Kings could have their eye on, you know, Brendan mentioned Tari Eason, who I think would obviously be an awesome fit. I'm super, super high on Tari Eason, but uh, there's a couple other guys on my board who sort of fill that three and D mold. Who are some other guys you think they could be looking for if they trade down? Yeah, I think um, keeping in mind that they want to probably remain competitive to a degree. Uh, there's three names that really stand out to me. Uh, one would be Benedict Matherin. I really like Matherin, as I've made very clear in previous podcasts. Um, and I think he does provide at least a plus t- as a positional defender, uh, somebody who could defend across uh, other guards and really make an impact that way. And I think does provide a high level of, of shooting and spacing that the Kings could really utilize. Um, he he was I, so easy to see the Sabonis fit with all the cutting he did. Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point as well. Um, the the cutting between that him and in Sabonis, 
those back doors and, and things like that. It's pretty easy to to see how it would work together. Um, I have the other two guys I have. Um, it depends how far back they want to go to. I, I'm sort of looking maybe a little bit too far here. Uh, another guy I was thinking would be Marjan Bochamp. I think he provides um, a level of spacing and defense that are above average. And just as a simple, uh, he's he we use three and D. I think pretty loosely, and we have on this podcast as well. And I, but I think Bochamp really is a three and D guy. Like that that's his thing. Um, he provides uh, probably underrated passing in moments as well as a connective guy but I think overall his overarching like trajectory in the NBA is it's probably as uh that sim- simplistic three and D wing which the the Kings could really use um and then the last guy uh is another Bryce Hendricks favorite uh I think Jalen Williams uh could really be somebody that helps them a lot um as he has the frame obviously he sets it out the combine with like almost a t- plus 10 wingspan um, to provide some sort of defense, even if it didn't fully um, show in the Santa Clara context. Uh, and I think he is one of the best spot-up shooters in this class. So in uh, being able to take some of the ball handling duties uh, and put more rim pressure and be a really strong finisher, I think he just provides a lot of the aspects that the Kings could really be looking for. Uh, and his name has moved up quite a bit. So if they're looking to trade back in the late lottery, I don't think that's a crazy name to that they're out there he's a hot topic today at the combine yeah that uh that i don't love i i hate when i'm high on a guy and then the combine stats come out and that's why <laughs> everyone else is high on him i'm like i swear i'm not reactionary uh but i do love Jalen williams and i love marjon too that was the name i was going to bring up if they traded back to 16 i think he would be a really really great fit um and he would um it, he, he just provides what they need again another great cutter as well um, and, and then the last guy I, I thought I'd bring up as a potential sort of trade down guy is, um, is Dyson Daniels. Um, I've, I've said, you know, Stone knows I'm a little lower on Daniels, but um, I think specifically with, um, with the Kings uh, getting another good passer um, and a good defender out there who I, who I think can shoot. Like, I don't think he's going to be a great shooter but I think he can get to that meth level, like Brendan was saying. And I, I do think that the defense can be very high level. And, and he's, I think he came in like at legit six, seven, which shocked me. I was not seeing it coming, but you know, if he can play the three uh, that, that would go a long way or just be a big two and just, you know, let the, let the Kings play big. I think uh, that would go a long way. So just some names, Brendan, are there any kind of names that, that you, that interest you uh, in a trade back scenario? No, I think the ones that you guys mentioned are uh, standouts to me. I admittedly have not gotten deeper into this draft. Like I would wanted to be with the whole uh, coaching search that Sacramento went through. And that took up a lot more of my time than expected. Um, but no, not, not really. Um, I'm going to lean on you guys a little bit for some of the later candidates as I get a little bit deeper in my own research and, and not to backtrack us too much, but I'm curious, are you guys also thinking that like Chet Jabari and Paulo are top three, or is there a scenario where somebody else jumps up or. I think those are sort of the locked in three at yeah. this point. Yeah. I think the the highest likelihood would be that sharp cracks the top three and I, I don't know how it would go then because I don't know who would take Sharp. I'm guessing it wouldn't be the Magic taking Sharp. 
but I don't know who would take Sharp and I don't know who would fall. This draft is really funky in that way where it feels like that top three could go in any order. And if someone does throw a wrench into that, it's hard to see how it plays out. You know, if it's OKC that takes um, that takes uh, Sharp and then it's Paolo and Chet on the board for the Rockets, it's really interesting. Um, so I, I have no idea. That's what I feel is most likely is that Sharp has just like an awesome workout with with one of those two teams, the Rockets or the Thunder specifically, I think are the team that have been kind of linked to Sharp and that he is sort of the one that jumps into the top three. Um, it'll be interesting. It's, it's going to be an exciting draft. I think a lot of it hinges. It's unideal for the Kings specifically being up for because the top three teams aren't really in the market for like a strong guard, but I think a lot of it could hinge on how the Rockets view Kevin Porter Jr. I think if they don't view him as like the starting guard and they think that Ivy is that, if they, if they somehow assume that Ivy is more, they can make him more of a point guard than he actually is, I think there's that's probably, in my view, the, the most likely outcome as to how one of those three could fall to number four. I'll be praying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you. I, I was kind of... I, I was interested to see how the lottery fell because I was thinking, I was trying to think like, okay, what's the realistic top three. And, and then I thought I had it. And then it comes out that like two um, big mock drafts have Jabari going one. And I'm like, I can't imagine the magic not taking Chet in my head. Cause it's like long dude who plays defense. <laughs> like that just, it feels very magic, but I, I just don't know anymore. You know, my, my Intel is, is not as good as most. So um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think that's a good, we'll just quickly hit on this, Brendan. I know you're not super deep into these guys, but Stone and I, I, I we wanted to throw out maybe a couple second round names that kind of fill that three and deep mold. Uh, Stone, are, are there any that sort of popped into your head? Uh, yeah. One that I sort of like for the Sacramento Kings would be Harrison Ingram. Um, I think that he provides a level of team defense that could really benefit them um he's still growing in multiple aspects but he is a really plus passer for his position as a forward um and i think that the shooting uh it's it can be to that eh level <laughs> we're gonna keep bringing that up now i like that term um so i i think he can get there and you know if you can get a wing off the bench that does uh dribble pass shoot and defend then it, in the second round i think you're you're in good shape so I like Harrison Ingram for them, and I think that uh, out of a lot of the second-round bets, he's one of the more likely ones to be able to do that. There, if there's any Robert Woodard type of players, let me tell you, I, I was in love with Robert Woodard. Um, I, I think the hypothetical of Robert Woodard, because the three-point shot, especially when I got into practices, I was like, oh, man, he's not shooting against anybody right now, and these are not going down. Um, so I bought the three-point shot a little bit more than I maybe should have, but I think of, like, Robert Woodard, like, Mo Harkless types. If Weak side rim protection from fours I think is something that should be, like, really valuable to the Kings. And if there's anybody that can do that and shoot threes, which I know is, like, pretty valuable and probably not something you're getting in the second round, but – if I'm like nitpicking about what would be valuable, I think with Sabonis not being like a rim protector in the traditional way, weak side rim protection from a four is something that's really intriguing to me. Yeah, that would be. So, so a couple of names I wanted to bring up that I think could maybe be that type of guy with, with probably 
less on one end, more on the other, because I feel like weak side rim protection later is harder to find than, than shooting just generally, but guys with at least projectable size. Um, I think Julian Champagny might be there at uh, 37 and 49 are the second round picks that the Kings have, which one of those is likely to be a real pick. And the other one, you know, it's hard to say if it's going to be a two way, you know, I think last year's 49th pick was Marcus Segarowski who didn't even get a two way contract. He was just given a G league contract from the net. So um, always some kind of funky stuff that can go on in the second round. But um, I think Champagne would be a great fit. I think he's, you know, he's six, seven, one of the better shooters in this class. And he has his moments as a help defender. St. John's defense was awful. And you could see him just check out about halfway through the season and, and not really care about anything but getting some buckets. So, you know, that kind of worries you. Um, you know, you mentioned Robert Woodard. Uh, my issue with Robert Woodard is that everything was, it just felt really slow. I thought he was just really slow in general. Um, someone who I don't think has that issue, but reminds me a lot of Robert Woodard in other ways, is Jabari Walker from Colorado. Someone I really like who I think, you know, if you're in a if you're in a rough situation, it's a bonus. His defense is really catastrophic at the end of games. I think Walker could close at the five um, if he hits those outcomes. You know, there's some Chismezi Metu in his game. I think he's a better shooter than Chismezi. Um, I a little bit there. That, um, so <laughs> I have a funny story about Chismezi Metu, actually. Um, he is most famous in Pullman for pumping, for, for punching Carter Skaggs in the nuts on a closeout one time. It was in, it was at USC Carter's. This was, I want to say 2017 or 18 or something like that. Uh, Carter Skaggs was, he had like nine points all on quarter threes. He's a white boy who talks a lot of shit. So on a closeout, just like, and full on like hand closed nut punch on Carter Skaggs. Chismezi gets ejected. It's I, I will never, ever, every time his name comes up, I I've went back and, and clipped the synergy game. I could, I'll, I'll maybe post that if I can find it in my files on files because it was I, it's an all-time moment link it's, in the description <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna uh, have to look this up yeah because he got thrown off the in, rim by Valanchunas right mm-hmm. and then didn't really do all too much but he had yeah. a different run in this season uh with someone and I forget who yeah I remember that I, I got like there's like a bleacher report video or something and there was like a big Chemezi Medu like altercation or something yeah i remember yeah. hearing something about that for sure shit i don't remember who well, yeah jabari walker did not do that um for what it's <laughs> worth um but yeah uh that's I, that's all i can ever think out think about whenever i say the name just messy that too that was before i was it was before i was super into scouting and stuff so i really had no idea who he was and it's just like this dude for usc just punched my favorite player in the nuts so <laughs> um and then uh i I think Justin Lewis would be really interesting here as well. Um, Justin Lewis, I have my gripes with him as a secondary rim protector, mainly because he just didn't do it. Uh, there were about every single time he had an opportunity to be a secondary rim protector, he was boxing out instead. I think a lot of that was Marquette. That's a very shock smart thing. Um, but it, 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 I'm interested to see if he can learn that he is a legit six, seven. He's strong. He's athletic. Um, I think he can shoot. It's a two motion shot. So I, I definitely have a worry. Like to me, he's closer to, um, you know, Robert Woodard maybe as a shooter in the fact that it's kind of a question mark, but um, there's that. And then someone he, he's not going to be a help side run protector at all, but I think Christian Brown would be a really interesting fit here from Kansas, of course, tested with a very, very fake 40 inch vertical 
um, at the combine with some standing reach shenanigans going on, but is at the very least an actually good shooter who can attack closeouts and uh, is six, six. So I think he can maybe play the three a little bit and just, uh, you know, three and D bet at the very least um, he's getting some first round buzz, but if he's there at 37, I think he'd be a great pick there. Um, so is there any, is there anything else you want to hit on with the Kings? All right. Uh, I think that's a, that's about good before we, we get out of here, Brendan, I just want to ask you, what is your like dream scenario for, and, and this can be one of those two fall. It could be, you know, how, however you want to take this, if it's a trade, whatever, what's your dream scenario for the Kings in this draft? It's Chet Holmgren being on the roster somehow. Um, Chet is my guy. I love, I mean, talking about weak side rim protection and guys that can shoot threes, like what more could you ask for? You know? Um, so if, if I'm given it in basic answer, it's pretty much Chet Holmgren. Yeah. That, that would be my dream too, for the Kings for what that's worth, because which to be fair, might be 29 other teams dreams yeah. as well. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm so interested to see how this draft goes. Like you're just asking, you're like, is it a possibility he falls to four? I mean, I have no idea. This is the least I've ever felt confident about um, sort of a pre-draft ranking. You know, we had some questions in uh, 2020, but you, in, in that, like you still felt fairly confident in that top three and um, it being pretty unshakable. And especially Anthony Edwards at one, I think became pretty obvious closer to the draft. Like right now it's just a, it's a complete toss up. So I'm very interested to see how it goes. Brendan, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Of Tell can people I, can again. I throw one other thing your way? Your, yep. Go quick. ahead. Where are you guys at with Amiya Shikata? We got second year here. Oh, um, I liked Kata more than most coming out of Utah <laughs> state. Um, he never had to leap the paint at Utah state, which was, which was very helpful for him, but I thought he was legitimately very athletic and, I, I don't know. I, I liked what he did as a passer, at least like, at least that's something I thought at, was he at 39? They drafted him something like that. I, I think yeah, he was right a perfectly fine bet. I had him as a draftable second rounder. Um, there were guys I liked better still on the board, uh, but I, I thought Kato was a fine pick and um, I'd love to see him get some minutes. He's older. So that worries me that, you know, he might still be behind two guys in the rotation, but, uh, I, I did like, I did like Kato more than stone at least. Yeah. Stone. No comment. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I know the front office does really like him. Um, I, I think there is like some value of him playing a similar, like he has passing ability. I was going to say a similar style to Sponus, but that's too kind. Right. But it he kind of reminds a- me like if you could take like, like the just vertical athleticism that you get from Damian Jones and just add like the tiniest sprinkle of Sabonis's passing. Like that's an all right second unit center, right? Especially for this team, because it's it's nice if a team can run the same stuff with their second unit and first unit and not have to just completely change up what they're doing when they take Sabonis bonus out of the game. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of times where Sean Holmes is trying to do too much passing and it's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> so at least you can keep a similar scheme. I think like they don't have like a big body big like that. Um, so I think that there's, there's definitely intrigue surrounding, uh, Kata, although, you know, maybe there's an aspect of like, oh, well, we'll get a lot of Portuguese fans if we go with this one. So, yeah, that's, we're, we're recording a wizard's pod soon enough. And it's like my, my early outline is already like, okay, so what, like, 
what overseas second rounder are they drafting this year? I, <laughs> my bet already is that they're going to find a way to get Hung Jung Lee because they don't have a South Korean player on the roster. You know, it's not going to be a market they've already marked off the map. It's got to be a new one. But uh, yeah, there's there's always a little bit of that. And with some of these smaller markets, it's hard, it's, it's hard to get too mad. But uh, it, at the very least, Keita is like a real prospect. It's not like when the Wizards drafted East of Salmon. So it could be worse <laughs> at the very least. Um, this has been awesome, Brendan. We can't thank you enough for your time and, and your expertise on the Kings. Uh, this was a great discussion for, like I said, a team that I, I think I maybe watched four total Kings games. I watched the first Demonis Sabonis game. Uh, yeah, I, if <laughs> that it was makes a good one. feel better, I, yeah, I think that's the only one they won. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's all right because, you know, this next year, if they get a guy I like, I will watch more. Um, but yeah, can't thank you enough again. Feel free to plug yourself, tell the people where they can find all your writing, your, your excellent podcast, which again, will be linked in this description to this podcast. So go follow it there, get some good kink stuff as well as some good draft stuff. He's done some great breakdowns on uh, a couple guys, especially really enjoyed your Chet Holmgren talk. So um, go, go ahead and plug everything. Of course. Appreciate it guys. Um, just what you mentioned at the beginning, I got the Kings Pulse podcast. Um, I do the Kings beat podcast and then some writing for the Kings Herald and a little bit of freelance stuff for the Kings B, but um I guess that I, you know, feel a need to punish myself by watching 82 Kings games a year and going to practices and everything and just diving deep in. Um, but that's where I'm at right now. And I feel weird because I feel like I shouldn't be allowed to be complaining about jumping in the lottery. But damn, like really in a three-man draft, they're going to sit at four? Why do they have to do this to me? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... Uh... If it makes you feel better, you are not the fan of the team with the longest playoff drought in this chat because uh, I'm a Mariners fan. I was so say Mariners is the only one, huh? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's uh, not looking any better this year. So <laughs> that's how that tends to go. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Brendan, seriously, you, you have been awesome. And everyone go check out his podcast. Again, even if you're not a Kings fan, it's going to be great draft coverage leading up to the draft. So go give him a follow and all that fun stuff for um at brendan nunez nba uh for at ali underscore not ali underscore oop underscore coop because coop does not hear for our report underscore court and for me at bryce Cedric 14 this has been the upside swings nba draft podcast we hope we are ceiling thank you we once again like to thank our sponsors at globalshopsolution.com simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at globalshopsolutions.com thank you